Oh, God, <clears throat> blessed assurance. It just it washes over us the blessed, blessed assurance that Jesus is ours. There's so much competing for our attention in this, on this planet today, in this nation today, in our private worlds, but blessed assurance. This Jesus offers everything that he is to us. What does that mean for us? Take this teaching, set it ablaze for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. This is a story about running. I'm talking about a lot of running. I don't know if you run or not, but I happen to run for a living, which means I run to keep living. But the running that's going on in this story is quite the opposite, I must tell you. Nobody's talking about the living. They're thinking about the dead, and that's why she runs, and that's why he runs, and that's why he runs. Three runners, one story, here we go. But here's the question. Let me just ask you this. When you see somebody running, I don't care where they are and where you are, Except for exercise, when you see somebody running, what do you think? When you see somebody running, what does that communicate to you? You tell me. What does that communicate to you when you see somebody running? Okay, they're in a hurry. Good. They're late. Yeah. yeah you're in an airport, and when a guy in a business suit goes, you know exactly what's happening. Hold the plane, the woman's crying out. A woman in their little briefcase. Yeah, you're late to an appointment. Mm-hmm. What else? What else? What, what's another reason why a person runs? Yeah, you got good news. You could have good news you want to share with somebody. That's good. Or it could be bad news. It could be you're chased. You're being chased. You ever been chased while you're running? Now, Dave's a runner, and I'm a runner, and so, so are some of you. But I tell you what, every runner knows that there are two sounds you don't want to hear coming up behind you. Sound number one, the sound of a dangling chain. If you hear the sound of a jangle, 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 and it's getting closer and closer, do you know what happens to you? You freeze. Why? What's the deal about a dangling chain? It's on a beast. It's on a beast. I was running, no kidding. I was running Redbud Trail, right out here, Redbud Trail. It was a beautiful Sunday morning, and I ran by a beautiful red barn. I said, lovely barn. And as soon as I got past the barn, I heard this chain, and the chain is getting louder, and it's coming behind me, and I, I, I turn around. This is the truth. I turn around. It was a German shepherd. Yeah. Fortunately, gray goatee, gray hair, and I said, oh, because he goes like, <laughs> I said, I don't have to worry about that dog. <laughs> Saved by the chain. Another time, I'll tell you the truth. Dark winter. Tudor Road. My little three-mile loop, Tudor Road. And this is the other sound. So the sound of a chain, and this is the other sound that every runner knows to listen for. I'll get the microphone near it. When you hear that sound coming behind you on the concrete, what's it telling you? There's something with claws that is getting closer to you. 6.30 in the morning, pitch black, winter. I hear this. I say, okay. So I grab my... I had a flashlight, fortunately. I had a flashlight. I just... And when I went like that, I tell you the truth. Already he is off the ground and his fangs are open just like this. And I did the first thing that came to my mind. I screamed like a girl. I just screamed. <laughs> that poor dog. Midair, just like the cartoons. Midair, U-turn. And I am absolutely awash. I am trembling in adrenaline. 
Karen and I later figured it out. It, it looked like a, a small German shepherd. It wasn't. Coyote. Coyote. We got coyotes around us. Probably thought it was some old dumb deer running in the dark on down the road and said, I'll eat that one. <laughs> so when you run, there, there are multiple reasons for running. Somebody could be chasing you. You could be crying for help. When she runs, there are three runners in this one story. When she runs, there's something, there's something anxious. There is something agitated. She is driven by an urgency. And I want you to track these three runners for a moment. Open your Bible with me, please, to ground zero number two. Ground zero number one, last Sabbath. Ground zero number one, last night, the cross. Thirty-six hours later and just a few yards away... Here we are at ground zero two. Open your Bible to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. The Gospel of John, chapter 20. What's in this story for us? Living on the cusp of a new year. John, chapter 20. Verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, Good Friday's past. Restful Sabbath is over. This is early in the first day of the week. While it was still dark, key point, dark. Tricky time to be running when it's dark. While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance, so she came running. She comes running. She came running. She's not jogging. She's not loping. She's flat out, flat out. She came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loves. And that's the author of this book. That's John Boy. And she cries out, <sighs> because when you, male or female, when you're flat out, <sighs> that's how you breathe. They, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. She's nearly wild with grief. She hasn't been able to sleep all night. And finally, rolling out of that bed before the crack of dawn, she stumbles through the night shadow, still silver beneath the almost still full moon of Passover. Through the shadows, the young woman darts one mission until all alone, mission accomplished. She stands before the tomb of her Lord, but like a shrine that has been grotesquely violated, the sepulchral door thrown aside, and nobody, nobody, not a guard, not a soldier, not nobody, just silence emanating from this gaping hole into which she peers. They've stolen. Somebody has stolen her master's corpse. Poor Mary, blind with grief, back through the same silver shadows, through the city gate, ajar, in through, up stairways, now behind, in front of a wooden door. It's barred and shuttered for fear of arrest. Finally, somebody comes to the door, and the door opens just wide enough to cast an orange CAT scan streak right down the middle of her face. She's recognized. She comes in. <sighs> Poor Mary. 
Runner one, and oh boy, that's all it takes. Runner two, and runner three. Here they come. Three runners, one story. Here come the next two. Number two, so Peter, that would be runner number two, and the other disciple, that's John Boy, runner number three, started for the tomb. This is a foot race, and this one will be flat out as well. They're not just jauntering down, a little bit of jogging. This is flat out. It can't be. It just cannot be. Flat out, they're running. Both were running, verse 4, but the other disciple, that would be John Boy, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. John, in this one little paragraph, twice is going to tell us, I got there first. What's up? You got a problem with this, John? Of course you got there first. Look at you. 20 years old? Peter, the big fisherman? Of course you won. Twice in one story. Oh, I was there first. So John does get there first. Verse 5. Oh, and he bends over. Looks in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. So... And here comes Peter, the big fisherman. And by the way, these, these boys are buds. Everywhere in the book of Acts, they appear together. They are buds. They fish together for all their young and not-so-young lives. They are friends. Now, big Peter, step aside, boy, let me see. And Peter, no, no, he's not worried about a thing. He goes straight in, and Peter sees that the linen is lying there. Folded here, folded here, for the torso, torso, and then the little handkerchief for the head has been folded up very nicely and placed there. Peter comes out saying, what's up with this? Now watch this. John boy, verse 8. John boy now goes in. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside the tomb and he saw and what? He said, I believe. How could you do that, boy? How'd you figure that out? Simple. If it were grave grave robbers and they're going for a body, they're not keeping it. Fold, get out. Let's go. Wouldn't be folded. If it were the priest, high probability could be the priest. If it were the priest, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't become unclean by touching this corpse. So they would have sent the rabble and the rabble would have done the same thing. Go, let's get out of here quick. If it had been the Romans, there would be nothing left because they would have cleaned that place spanking, empty, not a shred of evidence. So John Boy steps in. It can't be any of these options. Somebody folded his handkerchief on his face. And John believed. Now verse 9 tells us, oh, by the way, They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. And somewhere along the way, runner number one is no longer running. There's no purpose for her to run now. She knows the bad news. She's walking. Somehow she misses Peter and she misses John. And Mary, poor Mary, is back to the tomb. The dawn by every slipping moment grows quietly brighter as she returns to the hole in the ground and she looks in again. Verse 11, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying and as she wept, 
she bent over to look into the tomb, verse 12, and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. Verse 13, they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Isn't that amazing? The, the Gospel of John, the first red-letter words in the entire Gospel of John are the, obviously the words of Jesus when he turns around, when the same John boy, three and a half years younger, with Peter's brother, probably kid brother, Andrew, they're tagging behind him. They're following him. And Jesus turns around and he says, what are you looking for? Isn't that something? The first words of Jesus in the gospel, what are you looking for? And near the end of the gospel, his words now are, who are you looking for? Whom do you seek? A little, a little inclusio. It's a literary device where the, where, the, where the author sticks a bookend here and a bookend here to make a point when you see both bookends, as if to tell us, to remind us that if you're struggling through life looking for your purpose, and you may be new at Andrews University and asking, listen, God, why, what, what am I supposed to do? I haven't made up my mind on a major. I'm not quite sure if you have a plan for me. If you're asking the question, what am I looking for? The little inclusio is to remind you and me that the ultimate question of life is not what are you seeking? It's whom are you seeking? And Jesus whispers to you, I hope it's me you're looking for. Embedded right there in the fourth gospel. And Mary responds, go on in verse 15, Mary responds, thinking he was the gardener because he's against the light, perhaps, or it's just a silhouette. She, she, thinking that he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him. I will get him. It's amazing. It's amazing that she takes the very words, carry, t carried him away. Take, have you taken him away? Are the very words that John the Baptist used when he saw Jesus coming and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So there is another embedded clue that the man who's standing here has already forgiven Mary. She knew she had been forgiven by the dead Jesus of Nazareth. She knows. And so she uses the language. Did you take him away like the Lamb of God took away my sins? Then it is that Jesus speaks. Where have you put him? I'll get him. There's no way, if you could YouTube this moment, there is no way you could capture the electricity of what happens next. I mean, just, you just can't. You couldn't act it out. Just in stark, plain detail, Mary, who tells John the story, records it. Verse 16, and Jesus said to her, I love this, <laughs> and Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary, proving true, by the way, what he said in John 10, my sheep will hear my voice. 
and know. I call their name Mary. And she turned toward him and she cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, don't, don't hold me. Obviously, she's, she's thrown herself at the nail-scarred feet of her master. She's clinging to him, sobbing. Jesus said, don't hold on to me, Mary. No, 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 no. Let me go. Let me go. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. Instead, go to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And so Mary Magdalene, verse 18, went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said when he spoke these things to her. I got to tell you, hit the pause button right there. Every time I read this story, I find it absolutely stunning to me. I mean, come on. You have the king of the universe, the savior of the world, the lord of the galaxies, king of angels. And all of heaven is waiting for, the, for, for daddy's boy to just show up, just show up for, for just a moment to let us know. But before returning to the Father, with whom he has shared eternity like this, he waits. He waits in the shadows for a little woman whose stained and sullied life is known to the whole community. Some scholars believe, and I happen to agree with them, along with Desire of Ages, I believe it's a rightful conclusion that Mary Magdalene, listen, 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 Mary Magdalene is the same Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. Desire of Ages tells us that Mary was led into sin by her uncle, Simon the Pharisee. You know, as a pastor, I do uh, a lot of interacting with people. And oftentimes I have found that because of sexual abuse, as a little girl, as a little boy, and some of you here know of what I speak, but because of previous sexual abuse by someone you trusted, someone you, you said, well, I'm safe with him, I'm safe with her, oftentimes, not always, I'm not a psychologist, but oftentimes the link to a life of promiscuity goes back to that violation long ago. That's what happened to Mary, her uncle, her trusted Pharisee. He's a clergyman. He clergyman would never do this to me. He abused her sexually. And as the victim often does, the victim blames herself. The victim blames himself. This is my fault. And she flees. She goes to a little village around the corner of Galilee called Magdala, away from Bethany, away from Martha, away from Lazarus. And there she plunges even deeper into sin because shame is that powerful. It will drive you away from the people that you love. Shame. So let me tell you about a book I've been reading this summer, written by a writer named Alan Mann. Title of the book, fascinating title, by the way, Atonement for a Sinless Society. Let me repeat that. Atonement for a Sinless Society. Because guess what, ladies and gentlemen, this is the culture that says there's no such thing as sin. I don't have a problem with sin. The only sin we have, according to this culture, is the sin against ourselves. When we hurt ourselves, well, that's a terrible sin. That's, yeah, don't hurt yourself. Otherwise, no sin. 
How can you present the gospel to a culture that says, I don't have sin. I have no need of a savior. Ah, Alan Mann says, you know what this culture has? Instead of sin, here's how it reacts. It responds to what's called shame. Brenny Brown, you ever, you know, the most watched YouTube around, Brenny Brown. She's dealing the whole time with shame. John Bradshaw, what's he talking about? Shame. Shame is the, is the moniker of this generation. We don't have sin. We have shame. And so here's this bright mind struggling with this and saying, how can we apply the gospel to shame? Listen as I put his words on the screen. Alan Mann. Alan Mann. Shame generates the sinless society, not in reality, but in perception. Of course, it doesn't create this notion in reality. It's just perception. We don't have, don't have sin. It is this story of our shame that shapes so many of us. Keep reading. The chronically shamed sinless self still needs to be saved, not from divine wrath, but from self-judgment, which isolates and alienates the self from the other, the capital, the the divine other, or just the, the other, the neighbor next to you. How many of our hearts here today are struggling with shame? Something that came into our lives. We can't blame it in the end on anybody else. We know the shame. How many of us here today, just like Mary, in shame, have fled the evidence of the truth. Desire ages. Oh, this is something on the screen for you. Mary had been looked upon as a great sinner by her family, but Christ knew the circumstances that had shaped her life. He might have extinguished every spark of hope in her soul, but he did not. It was he who had lifted her from despair and ruin. Seven times she had heard his rebuke of the demons that controlled her heart and mind. She had heard his strong cries to the Father in her behalf. She knew how offensive his sin to his unsullied purity, and in his strength she had overcome. Mary Magdalene is the name of her past. They've tried to hide that identity. When she's around Martha and Lazarus, she's just called Mary, but she's now dead when John writes the gospel. So he goes ahead and uses the code name. This is the woman that failed. This is the sexual sinner that Jesus forgave. The the gospels say, out of Mary, he cast seven demons. This is that Mary that Jesus waits in the shadows. Can you imagine that? He waits in the shadows for her before going to the Father to receive seal of approval. Darn, son, you go. What a Christ. What a Savior. Come on, guys. He waits. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. Shame. Shame. How's verse 18 go again? And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. I've just seen Jesus. By the way, Pilate, Jesus stood in front of Pilate. He never saw him. Jesus stood gagged and bound before Caiaphas, never saw him. Jesus stands before the rabble. They don't see him, but this fallen woman sees Jesus and sees him for all he is. I've just seen Jesus. The ground zero of Calvary. And the ground zero of the empty tomb now meet in Mary. Now, hold on. This this is really important. Hold on now. 
Two spiritually nuclear ground zero events within the space of 36 hours, parts of three days. The ground zero of the wooden cross, the ground zero of the empty tomb, and together, and by the way, ladies and gentlemen, only together, this is the key point, only together can they remain ground zero for eternity because either one of them, isolated by itself, could not possibly ignite the explosive nuclear fallout that is still radioactive with the human race, and that's called salvation. Isolated, they are not... They are impotent. Only when the two ground zeros are united. Because the cross is all about redemption. The empty tomb is all about ratification. If you have the cross with no resurrection, you have no resurrection means no atonement, no salvation, no redemption, no hope. You have to have the two together. That's why Paul writes this. I want you to, we'll end with this, uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 15. Here's the point that Paul is making. So many people focus on the cross, on the cross, on the cross, and that's all they focus on. Wrong, wrong, wrong. You have to have both ground zeros together. Watch this. 1 Corinthians, what is this? 1 Corinthians 15. Drop down to verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile. No point in it. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then, verse 18, those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. You can't have Calvary without the empty tomb. No empty tomb, no Calvary. Does that make sense? Which means, in the book of Acts, when they talk dominantly about the resurrection, more than they talk about the cross, there's a reason, because it's the resurrection that ratifies it, that empowers the witness. You've got to talk about both. It's not just, I have a Savior who died on Calvary for me. No, I had a Savior who died on Calvary for me, but rose again for me. And in the power of that resurrection, I now live. I've just seen Jesus. See, your life will, will, will breathe that testimony. I've just seen Jesus. He's alive. <laughs> Inseparably bound. The cross declares his lordship. But hold on. The cross declares his lordship, but the empty tomb declares his kingship. You have to have the kingship along with the lordship. It's the two together. The two together. And that's why Jesus, I love this, Jesus is the hero of ground zero. Come on, that's a tagline. You can take that one home. Yeah, you go ahead and smile at it, because that's the truth. Jesus is the hero. Oh, come on, say that out loud with me. Read it out loud with me. Jesus is the hero of ground zero. Say that again. Jesus is the hero of ground zero. Both of them together. Nuclear, radioactive, unleashed. When the cross and the empty tomb are a part of your testimony. I've just seen Jesus. And guess what? He wants to be the hero of your story as well. He wants to be the hero of your story as well. Uh, he was Mary's hero. Hey, he was Peter's hero. In fact, do you know this? Maybe you don't. Do you know that Jesus did the same thing for Peter as he did for Mary? Do you know that? Come on. You don't know this? Do you remember when the two disciples, talking about running, you remember the two disciples that run seven miles from Emmaus in the middle of the night, they're running to the upper room in Jerusalem, you remember the two disciples from Emmaus, and they go pound, 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 the door opens, man, you, you guys are not going to believe this, he's alive, he just broke bread and our, our hearts burn within us, you remember that? Do you remember in Luke 24 what the disciples say, calm down, calm down, and they announce something else, do you remember what they announce? Yo, he's already appeared to Peter. He's already appeared to Peter alone. He hasn't appeared to the twelve because nobody in the room has seen him, except the two from Emmaus 
And now Peter. And Paul is so big on this. You still have the, your Bible open to 1 Corinthians 15. Go up to verse 5. Look at Paul. And don't forget, Paul writes to the Corinthians, that Jesus appeared to Cephas. That would be Simon Peter. And then to the twelve. Oh, my. You want to talk about shame? Come on, guys. Come on. You want to talk about shame, shame, shame? How do you think Peter felt over that long weekend? How do you suppose the crushing brokenness of that tirade of cursing in front of all of Jesus' enemies Cursing, I never knew this blankety blank blank man in my life. I don't know what you're talking about. How do you think he carried that? Shame, shame, shame. And guess what? When shame's around, it spreads, spreads, spreads. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. And this is early Sunday morning. So the risen Christ, who, by the way, has every reason to throw Peter out of his inner circle, you're out of here, boy, it was a nice try. Every reason to throw the book at him. The risen Christ, get this, maybe right after meeting Mary, before going back, is in the shadows where Peter's going home. He's waiting for Peter to walk by because he doesn't want John Boy there. Peter walks by, and Jesus, the risen Christ, draped in the shadows, steps out of the shadows and does the same thing. Peter, he peeped. And every time I imagine this, I just get, oh, my. Peter bursting into tears. I mean, what can you say? Sorry. Peter bursting into tears at Jesus' feet and Jesus picking him up and just holding him while this big, burly man sobs his repentance. Peter, driven by shame, who, by the way, came that close to be driven to the same recourse that Judas chose, which is suicide. Shame can become so oppressive to you. But I need to tell you that if Judas had just backed away from the cliff, after everything, just let the record be as it is, but he returns on Sunday in repentance to the risen Christ, that Jesus would have forgiven Judas just like he forgave Peter, just like he forgave Mary. Shame gone. He just didn't have the guts. He didn't have, his pride was too strong. He couldn't walk back. I'll lose face. Some of you are struggling. Hey, sir, walk back. Walk back. Come on, back up. Sister, back up. You don't need to go there. There is no shame so deep and dark that the same Jesus who waited in the shadows resurrection morning to hug Mary and Peter is waiting to hug you, to hold you and say, we can get over this together, you and me. You'll see Jesus. And then you'll have the greatest testimony the human race ever hears. I've just seen Jesus.
Wow. Ground Zero. The hero of Ground Zero. I tell you what, as we were singing this morning, all oh, these beautiful songs, as we're worshiping this morning, I'm saying, Oh, Jesus, you are my hero. You say, Dwight, I can't see. I, you say, Dwight, I cannot see Jesus like these people saw Jesus. Wrong. Isn't this Jesus, the one who spoke the red-letter words in, Re- in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20? Behold, I stand at the door, and if anybody hears me knocking, just, hey, you, just go to the door. Just go to the door. Open the door. I will come into you, and I will eat with you, and we will grow close together. We will walk together. Just let me into your life. And you'll walk out of that moment alone with Jesus every single day. And the first person you meet, you're going to say, guess what? I just saw Jesus. I've just seen Jesus. That's your testimony. It's not just Mary's. It's not just Peter's. It's yours. Don't be like Judas and walk away and say, it won't work for me. It will work for you. Give it up. Give yourself up. And let Jesus just grab you. Let him start over with you. Why would you hold back now? I've just seen Jesus. It's your testimony.